volume one chapters eighteen and nineteen of a strange world by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain eighteen what great ones do the less will prattle of a year had gone by since james penwin met his death by the lonely river at eversham and again maurice clissold spent his summer holiday in a walking tour this time he was quite alone pleasant and social though he was he did not make friendships lightly or quickly in the year that was gone he had found no friend to replace james penwin he had plenty of agreeable acquaintances knew plenty of men who were glad to dine with him or to give him a dinner he was famous already in a small way at the literary club where he spent many of his evenings when he was in london and men liked to hear him talk and prophesied fair things for his future as a man of letters all the more surely because he was not called upon to write for bread but could follow the impulse that moved him and wait were it ever so long for the moment of inspiration never forced to spur the jaded steed or work the too willing horse to death not one among the comrades he liked well enough for a jovial evening or a cosy dinner had crept into his heart like the lad he had sworn to cherish in the ears of a dying woman five years ago so when the roses were in bloom and london began to look warm and dusty and the parks had faded a little from their vernal green maurice clissold set forth alone upon a voyage of adventure with a pocket shakespeare and a choir or so of paper in his battered old leather knapsack and just so much clothing and linen as might serve him for his travels needless to say that he avoided that northern city of ebersham where such sudden grief had come upon him and all that route which he had trodden only a year ago with the light-hearted hopeful lad who now slept his sweetest sleep in one of the vaults at kensal green beside the mother he had loved and mourned instead of northward to the land of lakes and mountains maurice went due west many a time had he and james talked of the days they were to spend together down at the old place in cornwall and behold that visit to penwin manor deferred in order that james should see the lake country was destined never to be paid never were those two to walk together by the atlantic never to scale tintagel's rugged height or ramble among the rocks of bude maurice had a curious fancy for seeing the old home from which death had ousted james penwin he might have gone as a visitor to the manor-house had he pleased for churchill had been extremely civil to him when they last met at the funeral and had promised him a hearty welcome to penwin whenever he liked to come there but mr clissold infinitely preferred to go as an unknown pedestrian knapsack on shoulder having first taken the trouble to ascertain that churchill penwin and his beautiful young wife were in london where they had for this season a furnished house in upper brook street he saw their names in the list of guests at a fashionable reception and knew that the coast would be clear and that he could roam about the neighbourhood of his dead friend's ancestral home without let or hindrance he went straight to plymouth by an express train crossed the tamar and pursued his journey on foot at a leisurely pace lingering at all the prettiest spots now spending a day or two at some rustic wayside inn sketching a little reading a little writing a little thinking and dreaming a great deal it was an idle fancy that had brought him here and he gave a free rein to all other idle fancies that seized him by the way it was a morbid fancy perhaps for it must needs be but a melancholy pleasure at best to visit the domain which his friend had never enjoyed to remember so many boyish schemes unfulfilled so many bright hopes snapped short off by the shears of atropos the long blue line of sea and the wide moorland were steeped in the golden light of a midsummer afternoon when maurice drew near penwin manor the scene was far more lonely than he had imagined it measureless ocean stretched before him melting into the hazy summer sky 
sea and heaven so near of a colour that it was hard to tell where the water ended and the sky began measureless hills around him and except the white sheep yonder making fleecy dots upon the side of the topmost hill no sign of life he had left the village of penwin behind him by a good two miles but had not yet come in sight of the manor-house though he had religiously followed the track pointed out to him by the hostess of the little inn a mere cottage where he left his knapsack and where he had been respectfully informed that he could not have a bed at the worst i can sleep on the lee side of one of these hills he said to himself it can hardly be very cold even at night in this western climate he walked a little further on upon a narrow footpath high above the sea-level on his right hand there were wide cornfields with here and there an open track of turnip or mangold on his left only the wild moorland pastures undulating like a sea of verdure the ground had dipped a little while ago and as it rose again with a gentle ascent maurice clissold saw the chimney-stacks of the manor-house between him and the sea it was a substantial-looking house built of greyish stone a long low building with grounds that stretched to the edge of the cliff sheltered by a belt of fir and evergreen oak the blue sea showed in little patches of gleaming colour through the dark foliage and the spicy odour of the pines perfumed the warm still air in its utter loneliness the house had a gloomy look despite the grandeur of its situation on this bold height above the sea the grounds were extensive but to maurice clissold they seemed somewhat barren orderly beyond doubt and well timbered but lacking the smiling fertility the richness of ornament which a student of horace and pliny desired in his ideal garden but mr clissold did not make acquaintance with the inside of the shrubbery or gardens without some little difficulty his footpath led him ultimately into a villainous high road just in front of the gates of penwin so the landlady of the village inn had not sent him astray there was a lodge beside the gate a square stone cottage covered with myrtle honeysuckle and roses from which emerged an elderly female swarthy of aspect her strongly marked countenance framed in a frill cap which gave an almost grotesque look to that tawny visage can i see the house and grounds ma'am asked maurice approaching this somewhat grim-looking personage with infinite civility he had a vague idea that he must have seen that face before or imagined it in a dream so curiously did it remind him of some past occasion in his life what he knew not the house is never shown to strangers answered the woman i know mr penwin and will leave my card for him you'd better apply to the housekeeper as to the grounds my granddaughter will take you round if you like elspeth called the woman and a black-eyed girl of twelve appeared at the cottage door like a sprite at a witch's summons take this gentleman round the gardens said the old woman and vanished before maurice could quite make up his mind as to whether he had seen a face like that in actual flesh and blood or only on a painter's canvas the girl who had an impish look he thought with her loose black locks scarlet petticoat and a scanty scarlet shawl pinned tightly across her bony shoulders led the way through a wild-looking shrubbery where huge blocks of granite lay among the ferns which grew with rank luxuriance between the straight pine stems a sandy path wound in and out among the trees and shrubs till maurice and his guide emerged upon a spacious lawn at the back of the house whose many windows blinked at them shining in the western sun there were no flower-beds on the lawn but there was a small square garden in the dutch style on one side of the house and a bowling green on the other 
a terraced walk stretched in front of the windows raised three or four feet above the level of the lawn and guarded by a stone balustrade somewhat defaced by time a fine old sundial marked the centre of the dutch garden where the geometrical flower-beds were neatly kept and where maurice found a couple of gardeners elderly men both at work weeding and watering in a comfortable leisurely manner what a paradise for the aged thought maurice the woman at the lodge was old the gardeners are old everything about the place is old except this impish girl who looks the oldest of all with her evil black eyes and vinegar voice mr clissold had not come so far without entering into conversation with the damsel he had asked her a good many questions about the place and the people to whom it belonged but her answers were of the briefest and she affected the profoundest ignorance about everything and everybody you've not been here very long i suppose my girl he said at last with some slight sense of irritation or you'd know a little more about the place i haven't been here much above six months oh but your grandmother has lived here all her life i dare say no she hasn't grandmother came when i did and where did you both come from foreign parts answered the girl indeed you both speak very good english for people who come from abroad i didn't say we were foreigners did i asked the girl pertly if you want to ask any more questions about the place or the people you'd better ask em of the housekeeper mrs darvis and if you want to see the house you must ask leave of her and this is the door you'd better ring at if you want to see her they were at one end of the terrace and opposite a half-glass door which opened into a small and darksome lobby where the effigies of a couple of ill-used ancestors frowned from the dusky walls as if indignant at being placed in so obscure a corner maurice rang the bell and after repeating that operation more than once and waiting with consummate patience for the result he was rewarded by the appearance of an elderly female homely fresh-coloured comfortable-looking affording altogether an agreeable contrast to the tawny visage of the lodge-keeper whose countenance had given the traveller an unpleasant feeling about penwin manor mr clissold stated his business and after spelling over his card and deliberating a little mrs darvis consented to admit him and to show him the house we used to show it to strangers pretty freely till the new squire came into possession she said but he's rather particular however if you're a friend of his i know him very well and poor james penwin was my most intimate friend poor mr james i never saw him but once when he came down to see the place soon after the old squire's death such a frank open-hearted young gentleman and so free-spoken it was a terrible blow to all of us down here when we read about the murder not but what the present mr penwin is a liberal master and a kind landlord and a good friend to the poor there couldn't be a better gentleman for penwin i am glad to hear you give him so good a character said maurice the girl elspeth had followed him into the house uninvited and stood in the background open-eyed with her thin lips drawn tightly together listening intently as for mrs penwin said the housekeeper why she's a lady in a thousand she might be a queen there's something so grand about her yet she's so affable that she couldn't pass one of the little children at the poor school without saying a kind word and so thoughtful for the poor that they've no need to tell her their wants she provides for them beforehand a model lady bountiful exclaimed maurice you may run home to your grandmother elspeth said mrs darvis i was to show the gentleman the grounds answered the damsel he hasn't half seen em yet 
in her devotion to the service she had undertaken the girl followed at their heels through the house absorbing every word that was said by mrs darvis or the stranger the house was old and somewhat gloomy belonging to the tudor school of architecture the heavy stonework of the window frames the lozenge-shaped mullions the massive crossbars were eminently adapted to exclude light even what light the windows did admit was in many places tempered by stained glass emblazoned with the arms and mottoes of the penwin family in all its ramifications showing how it had become entangled with other families and bore the arms of heiresses on its shield until that original badge which sir thomas penwin the crusader had first carried atop of his helmet was almost lost among the various devices in a berry of eight the rooms were spacious but far from lofty the chimney-pieces of carved oak and elaborate workmanship the panelling between mantel-board and ceiling richly embellished and over all the principal chimney-pieces appeared the penwin's arms and motto jaton there was much old tapestry considerably the worse for wear for the house had been sorely neglected during that dreary interval between the revolution and the days of george the third when the penwin family had fallen into comparative poverty and the fine old mansion had been little better than a farmhouse indeed brawny agricultural labourers had eaten their bacon and beans and potato pasty in the banqueting-hall now the state dining-room handsomely furnished with plain and massive oaken furniture by the old squire churchill's grandfather this room was one of the largest in the house and looked towards the sea drawing-room music-room library and boudoir were on the garden side with windows opening on the terrace the drawing-room and boudoir had been refurbished by churchill since his marriage the old squire kept very little company and hardly ever went inside any of those rooms said mrs darvis in summer he used to sit in the yew-tree bower on the bowling-green after dinner and in winter he used to smoke his pipe in the steward's room mostly and talk to his bailiff the dining-room was the only large room he ever used so when mr churchill penwin came he found the drawing-room very bare of furniture and what there was was too shabby for his taste so he had that and the boudoir furnished after the old style by a london upholsterer and put a grand piano and a harmonium in the music-room and the drawing-room tapestry is all new made by the goblins mrs penwin told me which i suppose was only her fanciful way of putting it the dame opened the door as she spoke and admitted maurice into this sacred apartment where the chairs and sofas were shrouded with holland the tapestry was an exquisite specimen of that patient art its subject was the story of orion the friendly dolphin and the blue summer sea the greek sailors periander's white-walled palace lived upon the work triangular cabinets of carved ebony adorned the corners of the room and were richly furnished with a bellingham bric-a-brac the only dower sir nugent had been able to give his daughter the chairs and sofas from which mrs darvis lifted a corner of the holland covering for the visitor's gratification were of the same dark wood upholstered with richest olive-green damask of medieval diaper pattern window curtains of the same sombre hue harmonized admirably with the brighter colours of the tapestry the floor was darkest oak only covered in the centre with a persian carpet the boudoir which opened out of the drawing-room was furnished in exactly the same style only here the tapestried walls told the story of hero and leander i believe it was all mrs penwin's taste said the housekeeper when maurice had admired everything her rooms upstairs are a picture nothing out of character with the house the head upholsterer said there's so few ladies have got any notion of character 
he says they'll furnish an old manor-house with flimsy white and gold of the lewis Kaint style only fit for a drawing-room in the champs elisa and if you ask them why they'll say because it's fashionable and they like it mrs penwin is an artist says the upholterer's foreman maurice did not hurry his inspection finding the housekeeper communicative and the place full of interest he heard a great deal about the old squire nicholas penwin who had reigned for forty years and for whom his dependents had evidently felt a curious mixture of fear respect and affection he was a just man said mrs darvis but stern and it was but rarely he forgave any one that once offended him it took a good deal to offend him you know sir but when he did take offence the wound rankled deep i've heard our old doctor say the squire had bad flesh for healing he never got on very well with his eldest son mr george though he was the handsomest of the three brothers and the best of them too to my mind what made them disagree asked maurice they had made the round of the house by this time and the traveller had seated himself comfortably on a broad window-seat in the entrance hall a window through which the setting sun shone bright and warm mrs darvis sat on a carved oak bench by the fireplace resting after her unwonted exertions elspeth stood at a respectful distance her arms folded demurely in her little red shawl listening to the housekeeper's discourse well you see sir returned mrs darvis in her slow methodical way the old squire would have liked mr george to stop at home and take an interest in the estate for he was always adding something to the property and his heart and mind were wrapped up in it as you may say folks might call him a miser but it was not money he cared for it was land and to add to the importance of the family and to bring the estate back to what it had been when this house was built now mr george didn't care about staying at home it was a lazy sleepy kind of life he said and he had set his heart upon going into the army the squire gave way at last and bought mr george a commission but it was in a foot regiment and that went rather against the grain with the young gentleman for he wanted to go into the cavalry so they didn't part quite so cordial-like as they might have done when mr george joined his regiment and went out to india you were here at the time i suppose lord love you sir i was almost born here my mother was housekeeper before me she was the widow of a tradesman in truro very respectably connected mrs penwin the squire's lady took me for her own maid when i was only sixteen years of age and i nursed her all through her last illness twelve years afterwards and when my poor mother died i succeeded her as housekeeper and i look forward to dying in the same room where she died and where i've slept for the last twenty years when my own time comes please god so the squire and his eldest son parted bad friends not exactly bad friends sir but there was a coolness between them anybody could see that mr george or the captain as we used generally to call him after he went into the army hadn't been gone a twelvemonth before there was a quarrel between the squire and his second son mr balfour on account of the young gentleman marrying beneath him according to his father's ideas the lady was a brewer's daughter and the squire said mr balfour was the first penwin who had ever degraded himself by marrying trade mr balfour was not much above twenty at the time but he took a high hand about the matter and never came to penwin manor after his marriage 
how was it that the eldest son never married asked maurice ah sir thereby hangs a tale as the saying is mr george came home from india after he'd been away above ten years and had distinguished himself by his good conduct and his courage people told me who had read his name in the papers during the war he looked handsomer than ever i thought when he came home though he was browned by the sun and he was just as kind and pleasant in his manner as he had been when he was only a lad well sir the squire seemed delighted to have him back again and made a great deal of him they were always together about the place and the squire would lean on his son's arm sometimes when he had walked a long way and was a trifle tired it was the first time any one had ever seen him accept anybody's support they used to sit over their wine together of an evening talking and laughing and as happy as father and son could be together all of us we were all old servants felt pleased to see it for we were all fond of mr george and looked to him as our master in days to come and pray how long did this pleasant state of things endure two or three months sir and then all at once we saw a cloud mr george began to go out shooting early in the morning it was the autumn season just then and seldom came home till dark and the squire seemed silent and grumpy of an evening none of us could guess what it all meant for we had heard no high words between the two gentlemen till all at once by some roundabout way which i can't call to mind now the mystery came out there was an elderly gentleman living at Morgrave park a fine old place on the other side of penwyn village with an only daughter an heiress and very much thought of mr Morgrave and his daughter had been over to luncheon two or three times since mr george came home and he and the squire had dined at Morgrave park more than once and i suppose miss Morgrave and our mr george had met at other places for they seemed quite friendly and intimate she was a fine-looking young lady but rather masculine in her ways very fond of dogs and horses and such like and riding to hounds all the season through but whatever she did was right according to people's notions on account of her being an heiress and george penwin had fallen in love with this dashing young lady not a bit of it sir it came to our knowledge somehow that the squire wanted mr george to marry her and had some reason to believe that the young lady would say yes if he asked her but mr george didn't like her she wasn't his style he said at which the squire was desperately angry join penwin and morgrave and you'll have the finest estate in the county he said an estate fit for a nobleman a finer property than the penwins owned in the days of james the first mr george wouldn't listen i see what it is the squire cried in a rage you want to disgrace me by some low marriage to marry a shopkeeper's daughter like your brother balfour but by heavens if you do i'll alter my will and leave the estate away from my race it didn't matter so much in balfour's case neither he nor his are ever likely to be masters here but i won't stand rebellion from you i won't have a pack of kennel-born mongrels rioting here when i'm mouldering in my grave what a sweet old gentleman mr george swore that he had no thought of making a low marriage no thought of marrying at all yet awhile 
he was happy enough as he was he said but he wouldn't marry a woman he didn't like even to please his father so they went on pretty quietly together for a little while after this the squire grumpy but not saying much and then mr george went up to london and from there he went to join his regiment in ireland where they were stationed after they came from india and he was about at different places for two or three years during which time miss morgrave got married to a nobleman much to the squire's vexation but i'm afraid i'm tiring you sir with such a long story not at all i like to hear it well mr george came back one summer he was home on leave for a little while before he went on foreign service and he and the squire were pretty friendly again it was a very hot summer and mr george used to spend most of his time out of doors fishing or idling away the day somehow the squire had a bad attack of gout that year and was kept pretty close in his room you couldn't expect a young man to sit indoors all day of course but i've often wondered what master george could find to amuse him among those solitary hills of ours or down among the rocks by the sea he stayed all through the summer however and seemed happy enough and at the beginning of the winter he went away to join his regiment which was ordered off to canada i was thankful to remember afterwards that he and the squire parted good friends why asked maurice because they were never to meet again mr george was killed in a fight with the savages six months after he went away i remember the letter coming that brought news one fine summer evening the squire was standing in this hall just by that window when miles the old butler gave him the letter he just read the beginning of it and fell down as if he had been struck dead it was his first stroke of apoplexy and he was never quite the same afterwards though he was a wonderful old gentleman to the last nineteen farewell quoth she and come again to-morrow the old housekeeper's eyes were dim as she finished her story of the heir of penwin he was the best of all she said mr balfour we saw very little of after he grew up being the youngest to marry and leave home mr james was a kind easy-going young fellow enough but mr george was everybody's favourite and there wasn't a dry eye among us when the squire called us together after his illness and told us how his son had died he died like a gentleman upholding the honour of his queen and his country and the name of penwin said the master without a tremble in his voice though it was feebler than before the stroke and i am proud to think of him lying in his far-off grave and if i were not so old i would go over the sea to kneel beside my poor boy's resting-place before i die he displeased me once but we are good friends now and there will be no cloud between us when we meet in another world here mrs darvis was fairly overcome much to the astonishment of the girl elspeth whose uncanny black eyes regarded her with a scornful wonder maurice noticed that look sweet child he said to himself what a charming helpmeet you will make for some honest peasant in days to come with your amiable disposition he had taken his time looking at the old house and listening to the housekeeper's story the sun was low and he had yet to find a lodging for the night 
he had walked far since morning and was not disposed to retrace his steps to the nearest town a place called seacombe consisting of a long straggling street with various lateral courts and alleys a market-place paris church lock-up and five dissenting chapels of various denominations this seacombe was a good nine miles from penwin manor perhaps you'd like to see the young squire's portrait said mrs darvis when she had dried those tributary tears the young squire mr george we used to call him the young squire sometimes yes i should like to have a look at the poor fellow now you've told me his history it hangs in the old squire's study it's a bit of a room and i forgot to show it to you just now maurice followed her across the hall to a small door in a corner deeply recessed and low but solid enough to have guarded the toll-booth one would suppose it opened into a narrow room with one window looking towards the sea the wainscot was almost black with age the furniture old walnut wood of the same time darkened hue there was a heavy old bureau brass-handled and brass-clamped a bookcase a ponderous writing-desk and one capacious armchair covered with black leather the high narrow chimney-piece was in an angle of the room and above this hung the portrait of george penwin it was a kit-cat picture of a lad in undress uniform the face a long oval fair of complexion and somewhat feminine in delicacy of feature the eyes dark blue the rest of the features though sufficiently regular were commonplace enough but the eyes beautiful alike in shape and colour impressed maurice clissold they were eyes which might have haunted the fancy of girlhood with the dream of an ideal lover eyes in whose somewhat melancholy sweetness a poet would have read some strange life history the hair a pale auburn hung in a loosely waving mass over the high narrow brow and helped to give a picturesque cast to the patrician-looking head a nice face said maurice critically there is a little look of my poor friend james penwin but not much poor jim had a gayer brighter expression and had not those fine blue-gray eyes i fancy churchill penwin must be a plain likeness of his uncle george not so handsome but more intellectual-looking yes sir assented mrs darvis the present squire is something like his uncle but there's a harder look in his face all the features seem cut out sharper and then his eyes are quite different mr george had his mother's eyes she was a trevilian and one of the handsomest women in cornwall i've seen a face somewhere which that picture reminds me of but i haven't the faintest notion where said maurice in another picture perhaps half one's memories of faces are derived from pictures and they flash across the mind suddenly like a recollection of another world however i mustn't stand prosing here while the sun goes down yonder i have to find a lodging before nightfall what is the nearest place village or farmhouse where i can get a bed do you think mrs darvis there's the bell in penwin village no good i've tried there already the landlady's married daughter is home on a visit and they haven't a bed to give me for love or money mrs darvis lapsed into meditation the nearest farmhouse is trevenard's at borsell end they might give you a bed there for the place is large enough for a barrack but they are not the most obliging people in the world and they are too well off to care about the money you may pay them for the accommodation how far is borsell end between two and three miles then i'll try my luck there mrs darvis said maurice cheerily it lies between that and sleeping under the open sky i wish i could offer you a bed sir but in my position as custodian such an offer would be a breach of good faith to your employers 
i quite understand that mrs darvis i came here as a stranger to you and i thank you kindly for having been so obliging as to show me the house he dropped a couple of half-crowns into her hand as he spoke but these mrs darvis rejected most decidedly ours has never been what you can call a show-place sir and i've never looked for that kind of perquisite come young one said maurice after taking leave of the friendly old housekeeper you can put me into the right road to borsal end and you shall have one of these for your reward elspeth's black eyes had watched the rejection of the half-crowns with unmistakable greed her sharp face brightened at maurice's promise i'll show you the way sir she said i know every step of it yes the lass is always roaming about like a wild creature over the hills and down by the sea said mrs darvis with a disapproving air i don't think she knows how to read or write or has as much christian knowledge as the old jackdaw in the servants hall i know things that are better than reading and writing said elspeth with a grin what kind of things may those be asked maurice things that other people don't know well my lass i won't trouble you by sounding the obscure depths of your wisdom i only want the straightest road to trevenard's farm he is a tenant of this estate i suppose mrs darvis yes sir michael trevenard's father was a tenant of the old squire's before my time old mrs trevenard is still living though stone blind and hardly right in her head i believe they had reached the lobby door by this time the chief hall door being kept religiously bolted and barred during the absence of the family i shall come and see you again mrs darvis most likely before i leave this part of the country said maurice as he crossed the threshold good evening you'll be welcome at any time sir good evening elspeth led the way across the lawn with a step so light and swift that it was as much as maurice could do to keep pace with her tired as he was after a long day afoot he followed her into the pine wood the trees were not thickly planted but they were old and fine and their dense foliage looked inky black against a primrose-coloured sky a narrow footpath wound among the tall black trunks only a few yards from the edge of the cliff which was poorly guarded by a roughly fashioned timber railing the stakes wide apart the vast atlantic lay below them a translucent green in the clear evening light melting into purple far away on the horizon maurice paused to look back at penwin manor house the grave substantial old dwelling-house which had seen so little change since the days of the tudors high gable ends latticed windows gleaming in the last rays of the setting sun stone walls moss-darkened and ivy-shrouded massive porch with deep recesses and roomy enough for a small congregation mighty chimney-stacks and a quaint old iron weathercock with a marvellous specimen of the ornithological race pointing its gilded beak due west poor old james what good days we might have had here sighed maurice as he looked back at the fair domain it seemed a place saved out of the good old world and was very pleasant to contemplate after the gimcrack palaces of the age we live in in which all that architecture can conjure from the splendour of the past is more or less disfigured by the tinsel of the present dear old james to think that he wanted to marry that poor little actress girl and bring her to reign down here in the glow and glory of those stained-glass windows gorgeous with the armorial devices of a line of county families innocent simple-hearted lad wandering about like a prince in a fairy-tale trying to fall in love with the first pretty girl he saw by the roadside and to take her back to his kingdom 
if you want to see trevenard's farm before dark you must come on sir said elspeth maurice took the hint and followed at his briskest pace they were soon out of the pine grove which they left by a little wooden gate and on the wild wide hills where the distant sheep bell had an eerie sound in the still evening air even the gables of the manor-house disappeared presently as they went down a dip in the hills far off in a green hollow maurice saw some white buildings scattered untidily near a patch of water which reflected the saffron-hued evening sky that's trevenard's said elspeth pointing to this spot i thought as much said maurice then you need go no further you fairly earned your fee he gave her the half-crown the girl turned the coin over with a delighted look before she put it in her pocket i'll go to borsal end with you she said i'd as leave beyond the hills as at home sooner for grandmother is not over pleasant company but you better go back now my girl or it'll be dark long before you reach home elspeth laughed a queer impish cachination which made maurice feel rather uncomfortable you don't suppose i'm afraid of the dark she said in her shrill young voice so young and yet so old in tone i know every star in the sky besides it's never dark at this time of year i'll go on to borsal end with you maybe you mayn't get accommodated there and then i can show you a near way across the hills to penwin village you might get shelter at one of the cottages anyhow upon my word you are very obliging said maurice surprised by this show of benevolence upon the damsel's part do you know anything about this borsal end he asked presently when they were going down into the valley i've never been inside it answered elspeth glibly more communicative now than she had been an hour or two ago when churchill questioned her about the house of penwin mrs trevenard isn't one to encourage a poor girl like me about her place she's a rare hard one they say and would pinch and scrape for a sixpence yet dresses fine on sundays and lives well there's always good eating and drinking at borsaland folks say i've heard tell it was a gentleman's house once before old squire penwin bought it and that there was a fine park round the house there's plenty of trees now and a garden that has all gone to ruin the gentleman that owned borsal spent all his money people say and old squire penwin bought the place cheap and turned it into a farm and it's been in the hands of the trevenards ever since and they're rich enough to buy the place three times over people say if squire penwin would sell it i don't suppose i shall get a very warm welcome if this mrs trevenard is such a disagreeable person said maurice beginning to feel doubtful as to the wisdom of asking hospitality at borsal end oh i don't know about that she's civil enough to gentlefolks i've heard say it's only her servants and such like she's so stiff with you can but try they were at the farm by this time the old house stood before them a broad stretch of greensward in front of it with a pool of blackish-looking water in the middle on which several broods of juvenile ducks were swimming gaily the house was large the walls rough cast with massive timber framework there was a roomy central porch also of plaster and timber and this and a projecting wing at each end of the house gave a certain importance to the building some relics of its ancient gentility still remained to show that borsal end had not always been the house of a tenant farmer a coat of arms roughly cut on a stone tablet over the front door testified to its former owner's pride of birth and the quadrangular range of stables stone-built and more important than the house indicated those sporting tastes which might have helped to dissipate the fortunes of a banished and half-forgotten race 
but borsal end in its brightest day had never been such a mansion as the old tudor manor-house of penwin there was a homeliness in the architecture which aspired to neither dignity nor beauty low ceilings square latticed windows dormers in the roof and heavy chimney-stacks the only beauty which the place could have possessed at its best was the charm of rusticity an honest simple english home to-day however borsal end was no longer at its best the stone quadrangle where the finest stud of hunters in the country had been lodged was now a straw-yard for cattle one side of the house was overshadowed by a huge barn built out of the debris of the park wall a colony of jovial pigs disported themselves in a small enclosure which had once been a maze a remnant of hedgerow densest yew still marked the boundary of this ancient pleasance but all the rest had vanished beneath the cloven hoof of the unclean animal though the farmyard showed on every side the tokens of agricultural prosperity the house itself had a neglected air the plaster walls green and weather-stained presented the curious blended hues of a stilton cheese in prime condition the timber seemed perishing for want of a good coat of paint poultry were pecking about close under the latticed windows and even in the porch and a vagabond pigling was thrusting his black nose in among the roots of one solitary rose-bush which still lingered on the barren turf borsal end seen in this fading light was hardly a homestead to attract the traveller i don't think much of your borsal end said maurice with a disparaging air however here goes for a fair trial of west country hospitality End of Volume 1, Chapters 18 and 19